0: church for all generations. We are a church strong in spirit and grounded in the word. We are a church that excels in generosity. We are a local church that is making a global impact. What's up crossing family? Hey, we're in a series right now exploring the core values of our church. We're digging into the family history, our DNA, to figure out, like, what is our why? Why do we do what we do? What is the heart behind everything that we do? Last week, we studied the core value. We are a church strong in spirit and grounded in the Word. And here is uh, the core value for today. This is who we are as a church. Ready? We are a church for all generations. Will you say that with me at home? We are a church for all generations. You know, our church is 72 years old. And one of my favorite things that I like to say about the crossing is it's, we are not a church full of old people. And we're not a church just full of young people. But we truly do have an intergenerational church. We truly are a church for all generations. You know, I recently had the chance to sit down and have lunch with the only surviving charter member of our church. And uh, when I was just sitting down with her to try to figure out that heart behind the crossing and how we started, you know, she made a comment that really stuck with me. And this is what she said. She said, whenever our church throughout its history took its eye off the next generation, whenever we quit focusing on our kids and on our youth and teens, and we just focused about, you know, the present generation and not the next generation. At that moment, our church began to die. And she just kind of walked me through some of those times and how the church had to keep coming back to the next generation. And if you study our history, you will see that our church has always been passionate about training our kids, training our teens, making sure they know the Word of God and experience the presence of God. And I mean, I'm reminded or I've been told about stories of in the 70s when our church had such a flourishing bus ministry. And they used to go through all of the city of Eastridge and bring kids to church and nurture faith. And, And some people are still in our church today that came out of the bus ministry. And some of the greatest leaders in our church today were leading bus routes back then. And it just kind of reminds me just a few years ago, you know, under our youth pastor, Jeff Bowman, how we had a thriving bus ministry here still today. And we were bringing in kids from Eastridge to church. And it's just something that our church has always been a house for all generations. And I think it's really important that we maintain this DNA. We maintain this story of who we are because generations are important to God. Psalm 78 4 says this, We will not hide these truths from our children. We will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord, about His power and His mighty wonders. You see, God is a God of generations. It's His will that the story of God and all that He has done should be passed from one generation to the next. You know, when God called Abraham, what was the promise? God told Abraham, I'm going to make... You very fruitful, I'm going to multiply you. Your offspring will be as many as the stars in the sky. And then God made a covenant with him and said, Throughout all the generations, your descendants are going to be my special possession. Well, when God told Abraham that, Abraham was almost 100 years old at that time. And he didn't have any kids of his own. So Abraham knew that the promise God had made him was bigger than his lifetime. It was going to be a generational work. We see this in Exodus three, fifteen. God said to Moses say this to the people of Israel the Lord the God of your fathers the God of Abraham the God of Isaac the God of Jacob has sent me to you and this is my name forever and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. I want us to look just for a second here this is interesting about the ages of Abraham Isaac and Jacob. Abraham lived to be to 175 years old. That's pretty old. <laughs> Isaac, his son, the Bible tells us, lived to be 180 years old. And then Jacob, Isaac's son, lived to be 147 years old. So if you, if you were to put them on like a timeline, you could see there, and actually it's there on your screen now, you can see there was a moment in time, there was a window of opportunity where all three generations were alive at the same time. That means Jacob would have had the opportunity to hear his grandfather Abraham talk about how God called him to move from his homeland, follow God uh, to all the promises that God had made their family. And you know, this is how the deeds and the fame and the renown of the Lord would be passed from one generation to another. They had this opportunity of time. Now in the Bible there, that's just three generations, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I want us to look at our current situation just for a moment. We actually have right now, I think it's probably the most that there's ever been, five generations alive at one time. The first generation is, they're known as the silent generation. These are people born between 1928 and 1945. Then we have the baby boomer generation. This is 1946 to 1964. Then we have gen x that's everybody from 1965 to 1980 and then millennials i'm a millennial you know us you know who we are from 1981 from 1996 don't don't uh you know don't hold that against me that i'm a millennial and your pastor but and then the last one is gen z 1997 to present and so this is a unique opportunity it's very challenging (laughs) opportunity Uh, Because you got five different generations who have five different preferences, who think differently uh, about how things should be done. They especially all think differently about church. And so what's interesting uh, is this. Right now we have a church of five generations. It's like a three-bedroom house and there are five families living in it. You know, the baby boomers, you own the house, okay? Y'all own the house. The silent generation, we built you an apartment out back because you deserve it. Gen X, you're down in the basement listening to your grunge rock. Millennials, you're up in the attic counting all your participation trophies over your lifetime. And uh, Gen Z, we just want you to come out of your room and talk to someone face to face, but you're playing Fortnite. So it's all like we all, it's a very interesting time to be alive, but the opportunity of five generations alive at one time and, I, and I, this is an opportunity for the church because what other place in a society that we are more increasingly isolated from one another? We're all in our own echo chambers. We're only around people that look like us, think like us, act like us, and there's not many opportunities that we have to come together with people who are different and hear and learn from them, but the church, a church for all generations, can be a place where five different generations come together under the name of Jesus Christ, to worship him. It's challenging, but there is also a great opportunity in this challenge. So let me take a minute before I talk to the older generation. I first want to talk to the younger generation. I want to talk to you just for a moment. If you're a millennial, if you're Gen Z, you know, when you have questions about life, when you need help in life, it's really tempting that the only place we go for direction is right here in our pockets. It's our phones. We have more knowledge, we have more information at our fingertips than any other generation before us. So for many of us, our phones have become our counselors, our entertainment, our instructors, our educators. But the truth is, about search engines, the truth is about Google. it's ran by AI. It's ran by algorithms. These algorithms are not anchored to moral, biblical, theological norms. It's really just math. And these algorithms are telling us how to feel about ourselves, what to think about the world. But you see, that's just information, and that's just knowledge. And I'm telling you, young people, you don't need just information and knowledge. You need wisdom. When it comes to your career, how you're going to spend your money, your relationships, you don't need an algorithm or AI to tell you what to do, but you need wisdom on how to live faithfully to God in a complex world. Look around you today. Look at all the generations of people that we have here at the church. There's people that can be a resource to you. There's people that are here for you. There's older people with wisdom, with real world wisdom from real godly people, people who will pray for you. I want you to know you're not alone. You don't have to walk through life alone, but there's people that are older than you that wanna help you. And I actually believe it would make the older generation's day if you would just approach them, if you would talk to them. There's gold inside of them, and we're surrounded by them in our church. But the key to unlocking the gold in the generation above us, the key that opens the door is honor. Honor. If you want the wisdom of the next generation, you're going going to have to honor them. And the wisdom that's in the generation above us, we can't let it die with them, but they must pass it on to us we have to honor the generation above us i just want to give you four practical ways that you can honor the generation above us number one ask them about their story ask them about their story listen to their life man they have lived through so much change over the however many years they've been alive they have seen so much change and you need to hear their story you need to hear where they came from you need to, number two, ask them about their calling. What was that thing inside of them? What was that purpose that they felt God gave them while they were here on the earth? Number three, you need to hear about the sacrifices that they've had to make in their life. Because the generations before us have made great sacrifices. Thinking about some in that silent generation, the way they sacrifice. They've seen war. They've seen tragedy. They've seen so much. They've sacrificed so much. They learned how to be content with very little. And we need to hear that. We need to get that gold from them. And number four, honor their gifts and contributions that they make in the world. One of my most favorite things to do, listen to me, younger generations, is one of my most favorite things, the older I get, is to the honor to sit down with an older person and just listen to their story. Let them tell me about how they came to Christ. Let them tell me about what they did with their life, the business they started or they ran or the way, you know, they served in their church when they were my age. You know, let, hear about the sacrifices that they've made and thank them for the gifts that they've given to us. Younger people, it is our destiny. It's our purpose. It's, it's a must. We must honor the generation above us and get the gold wisdom out of them before they leave this world now for the remainder of the message i really want to talk about or talk to the older generation today because just like the charter member told me the older generation when we take our eyes off the next generation when we make church just about us our preferences our wants that's the moment our church begins to die and will no longer have a future and an impact When it comes to the older generations, here's what I'm asking you today. I need you to have what Dr. Dave Martin calls a cathedral mindset. A cathedral mindset. Maybe you've had the opportunity to travel to Europe and you've seen some of the famous cathedrals of the past. Right here, this is a picture of the cathedral of Notre Dame. This is in Paris, France. This cathedral took a hundred years to build. Or maybe in Germany, maybe you've seen this is the Cologne Cathedral. The Cologne Cathedral in Germany took 600 years to build. And here's one in Barcelona, Spain. It's called La Sagrada Familia. It is in Spain. It started construction in 1882, and you can see the cranes there in the background of the picture. It is still under construction today. It is estimated to be finished around 2026. Uh, Antonio Gaudi is the architect, and he had a 200-year plan plan completion. Uh, When someone asked him if that was too long, he told them that my client is in no hurry. So 200 years. So what does it mean to have a cathedral mindset? This is what it means. A cathedral mindset is creating and living towards long-term goals that require decades of foresight and planning, so that future generations enjoy the full realization. Here's what I'm asking you today. I'm asking you to turn your heart towards the next generation. I'm asking you to make investments into the church that you might never see the results in your lifetime. You see, we must build a church that will live beyond us. We have to start thinking about the church of 2050, not just the church we prefer today in 2021. We may never see the reality of the impact that we have on the future generations, but we have to look beyond ourselves to those future generations. This is bigger than us. I'm asking you to make an eternal impact. I'm asking you to give your time. I'm asking you to give your gifts and your talents. I'm asking you to give your resources to the next generation of the crossing church. I'm asking you to have a cathedral mindset, that you're willing to be a part of building something, that may not ever see completion in your lifetime why am i asking that because the stats about gen z the stats about this generation are really quite scary more than four hours a day on a screen more disconnected isolated and depressed than any other generation before them according to the current trend in statistics It it says that 60% of Gen Z who grow up in church will no longer attend church. 60% of the kids in church now will no longer attend church. Only 3% of this generation actually read the Bible, let alone know it. Even just recently, my wife, she works with the middle schoolers. And one Sunday morning, she, she gave Bibles out to all the middle schoolers. These are church kids now. These are people, kids at our church. She gave them Bibles and asked them to look up certain scriptures. And many of the kids did not know where to find or even how to use a physical Bible. <laughs> they had never done it. They'd never opened a physical Bible. All they've ever used is a screen. And it was just a wake-up call. It's a realization There is a whole generation that's heading in the wrong direction. And listen to me, it's happening on our watch. And we have to say no more. This is our why. You know, when I was growing up in church in the 90s, I heard a lot about missions to the 1040 window. The 1040 window is the rectangular area of North Africa, the Middle East, and Asia between 10 degrees north and 40 degrees north latitude. It's where the majority of unreached people groups are in the world. And I still believe in reaching the 1040 window for Christ. But I want to tell you today about the 4 to 14 window right now in our own backyard. A survey by the International Bible Society indicates that 83% of all Christians will make their commitment to Jesus between the ages of 4 and 14. Surveys done by Barner Research tells us that children between the ages of 5 to 13 have a 32% probability of following Christ. But youth or teens age 14 to 18, only a 14% probability. And those that are 19 and older, only a 6% probability. So what research in this area is telling us is that by the time our kids reach the age 14, that their worldview is shaped and formed. Parents, you get 740 weekends in your child's life to have them in the house of God. You get about 10 years to put your mark on them while the concrete is wet, but it's drying a little bit every day. Why are we so focused on the next gen? This is why, because the four to 14 window is our best opportunity to reach them for Christ. They are formed by 14. That's why we have to focus on the next gen. That's why our hearts have to turn towards them because this is the mission field in our own house, in our own backyard. And so I want to briefly for our time here, I want to look at three things that we can do for the next generation. And I actually find this in the book of 2 Timothy because Timothy is Paul's protege. He is Paul's son in the faith. Paul has impacted Timothy in a powerful way. But Paul goes back and he traces the spiritual heritage of Timothy. And we find that in 2 Timothy 1.1. Let's read this together. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace and mercy and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors with a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers, both night and day. I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith. And here's where that sincere faith came from. Listen, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois, second in your mother Eunice, and now I am sure it dwells in you. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flames the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us not a spirit of fear, but of spirit of love and self-control. There's three things I see in this text that Paul gives to the next generation. Number one, he gives or passes on a sincere faith. Number two, he calls out the gifts of God in Timothy. And number three, he just simply encourages him in the faith. Number one, we can pass on a sincere faith. The Latin word for sincere means without wax. In ancient days, pottery merchants, they sold pots with that marking on them without wax to differentiate between cheaper pots and the cracked pots that were repaired with wax and paint. It came to imply when something was without wax that it was real, it was genuine, it was transparent, it was costly. Paul says that Timothy has a sincere faith, a genuine faith, and he traces that genuine faith back to his, all the way back to his grandmother and his mother. What, what does it mean to be sincere? It means to be without hypocrisy. You know, we throw that word hypocrite around, but a lot of us do not know what it means. It actually comes from the world of theater. Hypocrites were actors. They were just playing a part on a stage for an audience, which they would receive applause and adoration when the play was over. But they're not, that's not really who the people were. They're just pretending to be something, When the show is over, they go back to their real self. What does it mean to have sincere faith? It means we're not just playing a part when others are watching. It means we embody the words of Christ. We've been transformed into the image of Christ. Jesus doesn't want us just to play a part in front of others, He wants to transform us from the inside out. And you know what? Our children are watching. They know the real us. They know when our faith is sincere and genuine, and they know when we're just playing a game for the world to see. Our children see when we shout and lift our hands in church, but we mistreat our spouse at home. Our children see, uh, you know, when we shout and jump at a football game and we get all, all excited, but then when we come to church, we're never really excited about the things of God. Our children are watching when we say amen in church, but then with the same mouth, we spit out curses and talk about other people around our dinner tables. You know, I don't think it's just physical DNA that we can pass to our children. I actually believe there's spiritual DNA that we can hand down to them, and we need to hand down to them a sincere faith. But you can't give what you don't have. You must have a sincere faith. I can't talk about other houses because I didn't grow up in other houses. I can only talk about mine. And there's a few things I remember about growing up in my parents' house. My dad pastored this church for 25 years. You know what? I remember being a kid and running up and down the hallways and playing on Saturdays. And I remember hearing my dad crying out to the Lord and praying and asking him to move on Sundays. I remember riding down the road with my parents and they're listening to their Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir CDs they're praying in the holy spirit they're praying in the spirit before school lay hands on us and they pray for us I can never remember one time in my life where my parents spoke evil about a church member in front of us kids not one time and trust me there was many of you to talk about <laughs> but never once did my parents talk about people in front of us why because they wanted us to love the church And they wanted us to love Jesus. And you know what? If you're speaking evil about people at church or about the church in front of your kids, what do you think is going to happen? Come on, put two and two together. How are they going to feel about God's bride? I can't tell you about other houses, I can only tell you about mine. My parents weren't perfect, but they were sincere. They had a serious encounter with Jesus Christ that changed their life and they were sold out to him. They knew God. They walked with God. And because of their sincere faith, I believe that I am here today. We must be committed to handing down a sincere faith. And as a pastor, listen, one of the things I'm committed to as a pastor is to make sure our kids have opportunities to experience the sincere and real presence of God. David Kinnaman, he's a research, researcher at Barna Institute. He has discovered that young people who have a desire to worship God and experience his presence are the ones with sincere faith. They frequently talk about connecting with God, engaging in spiritual activities out of a, a desire to experience and connect with a holy and transcendent God. One of the key predictors of a young person that will stick with their faith is that they have experienced communicating with God. Therefore, as a church, we must facilitate times for them to experience the intimacy of God and help them develop the practice of hearing from, listening to, and talking with God. I'm committed to this church. I'm reminded of a story One of our youth recently, you know, we have these things called spirit nights where we come together, and it's just to seek the presence of God. It's to be filled with the Spirit of God. And, you know, the most important people in the room those nights are our kids. And recently at this past spirit night we had just a couple of weeks ago, there was a young lady. She's a teenager, and she got filled with the Holy Spirit for the first time, speaking in tongues. And God put on her, I mean, I don't even know how she knows about this, put on her uh, a heart or a a longing actually for intercession. She has a heart to pray for people. In our youth, we have on Sunday nights, we have small groups. And in this past Sunday night, there was a small group and there was this girl, she just got filled with the Holy Spirit. She has a heart to pray for young people. And there was another girl in the group who just said, I feel so far from God, I feel like I don't even know God. And this young lady who was just filled with the Spirit, she laid hands on this other young lady and began to pray for her. And this young lady began to break, and she began to weep, and God touched her right there in a small group. One young person ministering to another. Why? Because she had an opportunity to experience the real presence of God at church. This is so important. We must teach our kids this. And even more than just teaching it, they must catch it. You know, Some things are not just taught. Some things are caught. They need to hear us pray. They need to hear us call out to God. They need to be in environments where that is normalized for them. So number one, we must pass on a sincere faith. Number two, we must call out the gifts on the inside of them. Paul encourages Timothy, stir up the gift that God has put on the inside of you. And that goes back to 1 Timothy 4.14. He said, do not neglect the gift you have, Timothy, which was given you by prophecy when the council of the elders laid their hands on you. I believe in this stuff. I believe our kids need to have hands laid on them by the elder fathers and mothers of our church and those gifts that are inside of them, called out of them in the ways that the Lord is going to use them. You know, it's so easy to find what's wrong with people. It's easy to complain about what's wrong in the generation below us. But what if we will speak into the God-given gifts? What if we will identify and see and call out those gifts and activate something in their life for their future. You know, I remember a conversation between my mom and dad, and I, I, it wasn't, they weren't even speaking directly to me. I just remember hearing them talk to one another. It was when I was younger and I was just learning music. I was playing piano and I had sung a few times at church and I heard my mom and dad say, you know what? I think Chad could really be a worship leader. I think he might have this inside of him. That one little encouragement can I tell you, not less than a decade later, I was the worship pastor at this church. I wouldn't be the worship pastor, I wouldn't have been, if that had not been called out from the inside of me. I love, I love what Paul does. It's, it says that Paul laid his hands on Timothy. That's a personal touch. And here's what you need to know about this. Timothy's grandmother and mother had a sincere faith, and they were biologically related to him. But Paul is not biologically related to Timothy, but yet calls him his son in the faith. I think this is so important. In our homes, we must have a sincere faith atmosphere, but we, that's not all we need. Our kids need relationships with godly adults that are not just in their biological family. The next generation needs a personal touch from the mothers and the fathers around them. According to Barna Research Young people who follow Jesus and remain in church are those who have intergenerational relationships with people who are not in their immediate family or even staff members at the church. My kids need adults in their life that are going to encourage them in their walk with the Lord, people other than Ashton and myself. Our young people need faith champions who will sponsor their spiritual development. I love this quote from Richard Ross. It says, the teenagers who look out over the congregation and think these are my people, I belong here, are most likely to be the teenagers who look up and say, you are my God, and I belong in your presence. We need you. Listen, I'm so proud of our Next Gen team. I'm so proud of uh, my wife. She oversees all of NextGen. She focuses mainly on youth, and then we have Tiffany Oliver, who is focusing on the C kids, and then Walia Bennett, who does pre-K and nursery. And I'm so proud of our team. You know, something amazing about this team, they meet every Thursday and they pray. They call out the names of every kid in the Next Gen ministry here. Even this past Thursday, they gathered together and they prayed and they were getting actually prophetic words, they believe, for some of the kids and they wrote them down and they sent them to them and encouraged kids. Listen, the Next Gen team here is amazing And they want to serve your kids. But can I tell you, they need some help. They can't do it by themselves. And our kids need adults who are regularly in their life who will encourage them spiritually. They need to be able to walk in the sanctuary on Sunday and see at least five adults that they know and recognize and say, man, those people are a part of my life, like an extended family. That's how we're going to raise the next generation. That's how we're going to ensure that the church, the Crossing Church, is a church for all generations. And here's the last one. Paul encouraged Timothy. Pass on a sincere faith. Call out the gifts in their life. And the last one is encourage them. In a world that's increasingly hostile to Christian faith, it's going to take incredible courage for the next generation to live out their faith in the public square. When a secular society is trying to push faith to the fringes, It will take incredible courage to make faith the center of your life. And courage is something that has to be reinforced over and over again inside our kids. Think about Joshua. Joshua had to be reminded again and again by the Lord to take courage. The world is a place of discouragement. It's going to try to remove courage. But the house of the Lord, the people of God, has to be a place of encouragement. We have to put courage back in them. So they will have the courage to live out their faith. And I just want to give you a few things you can do to encourage the next gen. It's really easy. It's with our words. It's with our words. This is simple, but it has to be intentional. This is nothing groundbreaking. But I'm telling you, if you will give these words to the next gen and even anybody in your life, your marriage, it'll make all the difference. I'm going to give you a few words that you can give. Number one, words of praise. Words of praise. Find a quality in them and pull it out by praising them. Listen, shaming them is never going to work. Even when they mess up, even when they make a mistake, you need to remind them, this is what you did, but this is not who you are. Let me tell you who you really are. And you, you tell them, you praise them, you speak about the good things in their life, and you draw those things out of them. I can promise you behavioral change will come a lot better from praise than it ever will from shame. Number two, Thanksgiving. Just be thankful for the kids that are in your life, for the grandkids that are in your life, for the uh, you know the extended kids or uh, teens that are in your life. Be thankful for them. Be grateful for them. You know, sometimes I just grab my kids and I just tell them, you know what? I'm so thankful for you. And they'll say, Why are you thankful, Daddy? What what are you thankful for? And I say, Just because you're mine. Just because you belong to me, I'm just thankful for you. And the smile that lights up their face, I mean, it's incredible. Affection, number three. Give them praise, give them thanksgiving, give them affection. Verbal and physical demonstrations of love, letting them know that you are pleased with them. Listen, if Jesus needed it, we need it. When Jesus was baptized, the heavens opened and the Father speaks out and just says, Man, I'm so pleased with you. You're my son. I'm well pleased with you. And our kids, our teens, they need that affection. They need that physical love, that physical touch. Number four, words of kindness. Just be kind. We can disagree, but you don't have to be harsh. Man, there is so much harshness in our world right now. Even people that are saying the right things are saying it in the wrong way. You can say the right thing in the wrong way and you are wrong. Because the fruit of the Spirit, one of them, is kindness. When we approach our kids, when we have to share truth with them in love, we must do it in kindness. Kindness is what draws other people in. And here's the last one. Words of prayer. That's it. I'm asking us as a church, you might not be able to serve on a Sunday, but you know what? You can pray. You can pray. In fact, link to our show notes today. Uh, There is a link there, and we actually have a piece of paper there for you, a digital copy. And on that is every child's name in our entire ministry. And this is what I'm asking us as a church. I'm asking you to pray for our children. Pray for the next gen. We are in a battle. We are in a war right now for our children. The culture is coming after them. The culture is drawing them in. And I'm not going to run and hide from the culture. I'm not going to be afraid of the culture. I actually want us to put courage into our kids so they can survive and live and thrive in this culture. They can be different and stand out. But I know they need a prayer covering. It just reminds me of that story in the Old Testament when Moses is up on top of the mountain. And he's holding his arms up over the mountain. But in, in the battle... In the valley is Joshua, the next generation, and he's down fighting the war. But as long as as Moses had his hands up and his hands raised, and he kept that covering over Joshua, the children of Israel in the valley were winning the battle. And I believe this, as long as we keep our kids covered, As long as we pass on to them a sincere faith, we call out the gifts inside of them. We encourage them. I don't think that stat will exist here at the crossing. We're not gonna lose 60% of our kids away from the church. No, they're gonna have a strong, resilient faith and they are gonna raise kids that raise kids that raise kids that love God and serve God. We need a cathedral mindset. We're building something that will outlast us. Church, we're 72 years old. And you know what? Under my watch, I'd like to see us make it to 100 years old. And when we're at 100 years old, I don't want it to be me, old and crusty and just all the other people around. And and there ain't no young kids here because we just focus on us and what we wanted and our preferences. No, no, no. I want us to always be a church for all generations. Let me pray for you today. Father, I pray for your people. I thank you for a church that is a church for all generations. I thank you for those that have a heart to serve the next generation. Lord, I pray you would help us to be people that pass on a sincere faith, people that call out the gifts, that call out the good, and help us to be people that encourage the next generation. Father, we cover them today. We cover them with the blood of Jesus. We plead the blood of Jesus over them. We ask, Holy Spirit, your protection over them. We pray that they would have true encounters with you where they would hear your voice and know you and experience you in such a way they can never deny it. We pray, God, as we grow in your image, as we share the hope with those around us, we pray that you would lead us and guide us into this next phase, into this new era of our church. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen. Hey, thank you so much for tuning in today. Don't forget, we're live always, 9 and 11 and 10 o'clock virtual right here. Hopefully, I'll see your face soon.